when you do case studies like that and give them a story, like you said, it allows you, the prospect, a customer to see themselves in that situation and say, I also have that problem. It's a way of serving up the problem solution without like the fear mongering that comes with marketing. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com AWT and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Hasiotis, and today I'm very excited to be joined by Brigitte Potker. Brigitte is the director of content brand at Postal.io, a company that you should have heard of by now, and was previously a digital marketing manager at BitTime Software and a content marketing and SEO team lead at G2. Brigitte? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So before we get started with all the very interesting things that I would like to discuss with you today, uh, can you please share a few things about you, your background, and what has brought you to where you are today? Yeah, um, I am Bridget. I find myself now at a company called Postal. Um, it's a offline marketing engagement platform. Um, think like direct mail and swag and all the logistics that have to do with anything offline marketing. Um, we handle all that kind of stuff with tech and with our partnerships. So what got me to Postal? Um, I started at Postal in November of this last year. So I've just been there almost nine months, but nine months in tech is like three years, right? <laughs> um before that, I was at Big Time, which is a Chicago company. That's where I'm, I'm based. It's a billing and um, uh, it's like a billing software for anybody with billable hours. So uh, not MarTech, which is why I found myself back at Postal. Uh, I came from G2, as you mentioned before that. And that was really my first kind of insight into tech. And I love MarTech, like selling to marketers because I'm a marketer and like that's the way my brain works. So um, really passionate about that space in particular. Um, before G2, I worked in an ad agency for three years. So I got a lot of experience with, you know, content in a lot of different forms and building out programs for a lot of different industries and how it can be different for the one industry to the next and how, you know, you can have a framework in a playbook, but it's not necessarily 
transferable for every single, especially, you know, G2 being a marketplace and doing the SEO kind of things that we did there were amazing. But how much of that can I actually bring over to the next kind of SaaS company? Um, and we can get into to all of that. But yeah, kind of a diverse background. I think agency to tech is pretty normal. I think journalism to content and tech is pretty normal too. Um, so just kind of followed along. Um, tech now for five or six years, which is crazy. I mean, pandemic again, I go back to like, that's been five years by itself, right? <laughs> when, when people like ask me in interviews, like if there are any uh, junior marketeers uh, who listen to this episode and uh, want to know where they should get started, I always say you should go work at an agency. I think there mm-hmm. is no uh, better way to get your hands dirty and totally. uh, really understand as you mentioned like see the game from all these different standpoints and you had this experience for three years which is i guess a lot (laughs) in the the agency world Uh, but also g2 must have been very i don't know exciting because back then uh, i don't follow the the company as much nowadays but back then you were very focused on on seo uh right yeah, when I sort of joined G2, um, the content team, when I first joined, I think I was the seventh employee. And two months later, our content team had 30 people on it, um, which is crazy. It's bigger than HubSpot's content team, like to think about that. But that's really what we were trying to build. Like we were, we knew that as a mark, as, as the product being a marketplace for software, like what we needed was traffic. Um, and how did we do that really? We had kind of two buckets for that. We had the product-led side of the SEO with the category pages and all that stuff, but even up the funnel further, trying to build authority in all of these different software categories. Um, So trying to figure out and building those programs from literally scratch, like, you know, for the first six months, I was writing about app development, which I thought was hilarious because I'm like, I went to advertising school. Um, <laughs> but you learn so much. And I think realizing like we really figured out the SEO content game, I think, in SaaS pretty quickly and figured out what works and learned how to double down on on the things that did work. And then, um, you know, for a while there, we were just creating a lot of content, I think. Every writer was doing 10 pieces a month. So that's just internally, that's almost 300 pieces of content a month, which is crazy. Um, but then I think, you know, a year and a half in, we're learning, okay, how much of this, like we probably need to have a, a subset team for content pruning and optimization. And, you know, we can't just continue to create more content. Let's look at what's actually working. Um, so I got to build out a little team for that um, and kind of do more of the, the after publishing, but also the pre-publishing, like figuring out um, keyword research wise and all that stuff, like what search intent and and figuring out like how many articles do we need in this cluster and that kind of stuff so it was really robust program i think that's the most robust content program i've ever been a part of um and it was really it was really good i have discussed with different people from that team uh at g2 uh, and I also had a discussion with a person who led the team, who was Kevin Indig. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so I'm, you know, I always get uh, different details of mm -hmm. how things were, were working back then. And I'm always impressed, not only by, you know, the, the growth uh, in terms of traffic, keywords and so on, but also operationally, how this thing, like how the team was able to scale as fast and as quickly. And at the same time, how you were able to uh, work as efficiently and develop, you know, processes and workflows and so on and so forth. So I think it's one of the best uh, case studies when it comes to organic growth, uh, specifically for, for SaaS companies. But um, fast forward a few years and now you're at Postal. Um, mm -hmm. Can you please share a couple of things about the product and let us know who gets the most value uh, by, by using Postal? Yeah. Um like I said earlier, Postal is an offline marketing engagement platform. Um, we help automate a lot of the logistics, time-sucking logistics of direct mail and swag and um, any kind of like offline outreach. I mean, I think we were talking about it earlier, but steak dinners to make a sale have always existed. But how do you do that in a remote world? Um you can still send personalized gifts and that kind of stuff. You don't necessarily need their address if you have an email address. Um, so the platform that we've built really takes out a lot of the like sourcing, sending, packing, like we'll, we connect you directly to the small vendor, smaller local vendor um, that, you know, it's more impactful if somebody wants to send me coffee from my coffee shop down the street versus a Starbucks gift card or something like that. So we're really encouraging specifically um, ABM programs to get a little bit more targeted with their outreach offline as well as online. And I think having both of those together in an omni-channel kind of strategy um, lets you stand out further in the sales process and the sales cycle, sp spend more time and attention on the prospects that really matter. Um, so there's a lot of different use cases, but I would say the biggest one is pre-sales and sales velocity um, for SaaS companies right now. Okay, okay. Thank you very much for explaining. Now, I took a look, a look at the website and I saw that you uh, promote, as as I understand it at least, and maybe I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, please, uh, but you promote the, the term offline marketing automation or mm -hmm. offline marketing engagement. Um, and it seems to me like the fact that you try to to let's say use this this term as a vehicle it seems to me like you know drift uh, trying to evangelize the term conversational marketing back in 2015 yeah. i would like to to hear from you whether you see any common characteristics between drift's case with what postal is trying to do with yeah. line marketing automation and if yes would you say that offline marketing automation or engagement is, is a new category? Yeah, I think back to what we were just saying before, um, this thing, offline marketing has always kind of existed. We just never really had something to call it direct mail. But like, we think direct mail is a little narrow for what postal does. People think direct mail, they're thinking like a postcard or something not there's no gift, right. But we also don't want to go by gifting because we feel like that's kind of narrow as well. So that's how we came up with offline engagement, offline automation. I was fighting to not have it be offline marketing automation for my SEO brain being like, we're going to have to fight with every single person doing off or doing marketing automation, whether we add offline or not, like for search, that's not a good 
that's not good for us, right? Like, I don't want to automation. I think it's important to talk about because it explains what we do, but really it's more of an engagement tool. Um, and yeah, it is, it is a new category. I think we definitely have some competitors in this space. Of course, everybody calls themselves something differently. Um, but we also have different capabilities than each other. So no, nobody really is a direct apples to apples comparison. Um, but what drifted with conversational marketing is exactly, I think, just cookie cutter, um, great case study for category building. And I think specifically with SEO, there are places, and the good part is, is I have content and brand, right? So I have half of an SEO brand and then half of like, how do we brand it as the category? Um, I think we just have to be really specific about where we use what terms. So yes, we want to rank for offline marketing automation if we're trying to to win that category name and get the category name out there more and be really specific about when we use that. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going after um, corporate gifting, direct mail, swag store, like those kinds of keywords, because it's important, especially in search, to meet your users where they are. And if they're calling you corporate gifting, gifting platform, they still want postal. So I'm still going to go find them and get them onto the website, whether they're calling it offline marketing engagement or not. I understand. I have, you know, a couple of questions. I don't, I'm, I don't know which one to, to, uh, <laughs> to ask first. Um, it seems to me, uh, that some of the use cases that you just described are close to what we general, uh, generally refer to as promotional products, which is, mm-hmm an industry that exists for many, many years. It's, you know, a traditional industry. Uh, I think it has a market cap of 26 billion or something like that. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's quite saturated as well with over, you know, uh, 20,000 distributors uh, in, in the US alone. I would like to know whether you feel that, you know, in, for some of our use cases, we um, compete, uh, let's say, with uh, SaaS companies. Um, and at the same time, like, do you think that for an industry that is as traditional as the promotional products one, uh, you have uncovered opportunities uh, that most of these companies were missing? Yeah, yeah. I think the beauty of a postal is that we really are the middleman between the SaaS company that's trying to do any kind of offline something. Whether like just let's just take swag because that's what most of the promotional product kind of agencies and all that stuff do, right? So we're the middleman between that so that you as a SaaS company don't even necessarily have to, you know, usually what happens is, okay, we have an automation system to do that, but the SaaS company is still having to talk to the vendor directly, get that stuff shipped to the warehouse, get it in the product, but like we'll handle that relationship too. So we're trying to kind of synthesize and condense all of the relationships between the vendors, between, um, and any vendor. So like if you're, you want to swag, if you want to send a branded coffee mug with a curated, uh, kind of coffee bean, like you can do that on postal because it's all in the same, it's coming from the same warehouse. Right. Um, So giving people, I think, more flexibility to do that. But I think too, like the beauty of it is we have a concierge team that if you want to do a branded box or something like that, they'll go find the best vendor to do that with. They'll go work with them. We'll even take a vendor that you have worked with before and and bring them onto the product. So 
I think alleviating even the relationships that you have to build with all these different types of vendors really helps um, alleviate a lot of the logistics of it. But um, yeah, I think it's an interesting place to be in the middle and to kind of just be the connection piece. But there are so many logistics in there that keep people from doing promotional items, keep people from doing any kind of swag because it's a headache almost always, right? Yeah, that's true. And I have received in my life, I don't know, three or four packages with uh, branded swag from companies like Ahrefs, Sameless Plug, uh, the sponsor of our podcast. But the truth is that, I don't know, I feel happy every time I, I right. receive these books. Well, uh, I yeah. think it's a brand experience, right? That's what we're trying to push is like, this is a way to have a real life relationship with prospects and customers and like come off in a space, especially that's not crowded because there's not a lot of companies that do this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it makes sense now. It makes more sense now. The <laughs> second follow-up question that I have uh, was regarding the fact that, okay, let's assume that this is a new category. Then the question is, from a con perspective, how do you educate people that, because in my mind, this is kind of like a, uh, a vitamin and not a painkiller, like mm -hmm. people, even a sales rep doesn't really know that what I need at this point is postal. Uh, because I've been used to uh, like uh, schedule 1,000 e cold emails uh, through the, the cold email tool that I use and so on. So how do you go about educating the all these different verticals and industries about, you know what, there is a different way of doing things? Yeah, I think I think there's kind of two directions here. I think it's really important that we have technology that plugs into all of the outreach tools that you're already using, right? And tracking tools. So I think that's the other piece that we haven't talked about yet is the actual ROI of this stuff compared to, you know, just a cold email with, with no kind of offline component at all. So we can see those things back like side by side. It connects to Salesforce. Um, connects to like all the way through to um, sales loft outreach, like any anything that your team is using to send out, will integrate with so that it makes it easier to just include it in things that you're already doing instead of having to like build an entire new program for that. Um, so I think that's really important because I think it alleviates the like. I never want the customer to make them feel like they're not doing something like stupid for not doing something that they should be doing. Right. It's oh, no, you could just try this a different way. Um, it, it makes it a little bit, e it's an easier approach to offline than I think is, is uh, historically the case, but um, getting people to do offline at all is hard because as marketers and I, you know, I, I was taught everything was going to be digital. I would never have to do anything offline. And then everything offline is always, you're sitting there packing boxes and sending swag to corporate events. And like all this stuff is just always a pain in the ass. And how do you convince people like, Oh, it doesn't have to be a pain in the ass anymore, but okay, like how do you get people to actually do it? And it's showing them how easy it can be to do it. Um, so I think that's kind of both sides of it, but I think you're right. But when you said vitamin versus pain color, it's like showing them the actual results really helps too. And being able to actually tie back and attribute revenue to offline is really important. It's important for any demand gen channel. Like, especially with recession times right now, we're, we're seeing it all across the board. Like, 
I'm very passionate, but we don't have to do everything. We just have to do a few things really well. And that comes to demand gen channels too. Like we're seeing really good results in organic right now. So we pulled money out of paid spend and we can use that money now to go sponsor more newsletters, get some more event sponsorships, like do things that are more bottom middle of funnel than just spending our money on paid search. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. And I think that as like my understanding is that as marketers, let's say, um, it's not that we will always choose the, the easiest thing to do, but especially when it comes to offline, if you don't know that there is another way, it's the easiest thing to do to say is that, you know what, like I can send 100 emails right now. I don't need anything at all. I don't need, yeah. you know, to, to sign up for a product or do anything at all. But maybe what's, what's needed in a, in a, in a, in a case like this is to really educate people and let them know that as, as you mentioned, like it doesn't have to be that way because yep. you, you can, you can do it. Far. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's too, why I, I, there's no ill will between our competitors. There's not because I'm like, we're all just trying to lift this space up and then we're going to win for our technology and our partnership. Like when we get into those evaluations and that kind of stuff, but I think just creating a category you need your competitors to also be creating the category. You all have to be in that one together. I agree with you. Uh, and I, I don't know, I was watching an interview, I guess, and uh, they, they were discussing at some point about Uber vs Lyft and mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, Uber was doing okay, but it really took off when Lyft, uh, came into, into the game. And so things started to change and it started to really pick up then. And I think that if anything, competition is a good thing because it, you know, as I, as you mentioned, like it helps you, um, like evangelize this, yeah. this new category and make it, uh, known. And at the same time, it, it, it is going to inevitably push all the companies in this category, in this space to become better technology, yeah, exactly. at marketing, at brand, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned SEO content and um, I would like to connect that to ConStrategy a bit and shift gears and I would like to, to know your thoughts on content for a search audience. Now, obviously, this is part of your strategy, uh, but uh, I would like to, to, to hear uh, whatever you can share with us, of course, uh, about how you approach content uh, that's targeting search engine users. Yeah, yeah. So obviously coming from from G2, having the every resource at my disposal, right? You talked a little bit about um, the operations, but it was always like, if we needed to shift, we were able to do it. We Because we had so many people, like we were able to 80% stick to what our strategy was, because that's how content strategy goes. You kind of have to keep doing what you've been doing in some version. Um, but we also had this like little experimental team that was really awesome. And obviously with when you have a content team of I'm not even counting myself fully I'm I'm half I have one person full time on the content team. Um so the strategy has to be completely different than what it would be even if you had four writers, right? So we focus for search mostly on creating um uh, landing pages for middle and bottom funnel for targeted keywords, like really specific. And we started with a list of 
software keywords. So platform, technology, anything that has that kind of modifier on it around a specific campaign. We use Demandwell to do all of this kind of keyword research and stuff with us. Um, but so we've seen, I think we've launched 45 pages with them since March and our impressions, search impressions have gone up like 3x. Our pipeline has 4x from organic. Like it's been crazy. I knew that I, I, the learning that I took away from G2 was that we can build all this traffic with a lot of writers, but we weren't necessarily converting a lot of it. Um, and as a small content team and anybody at a small startup, like your main objective is to build pipeline. Um, that's how you stay, uh, especially as a brand team too. Like I'm trying to tie brand and content to dollars and revenue. I have to start at the bottom of the funnel in the middle of the funnel and pipeline. So not using our blog to write what is offline marketing automation from an SEO perspective, we still write that blog, but it's more from our brand voice and what we think about our products, less about the keywords and that kind of stuff because there really aren't any when you're building a category you're kind of making them up anyway um but far as seo we really focus on more conversion landing pages versus blog content and like traditional content marketing okay okay that makes sense uh, but like as my understanding is that and i would like to hear your thoughts on that not just for postal but in general i mean you you don't believe that content for a search audience should be, you know, all there is, uh, like there should, there should be a mix ideally of content for a search audience yes. with, uh, content like original content and, uh, product focused content and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. I think the way that G2's team was built, obviously we had a marketing team of 50, so we were all kind of on different channels. Our channel was google right like that was our google and social but now as content like thinking about content in general like i have to think about okay how does our content help the product marketing team how does our content like how do we become the content team for our internal marketing team and our sales team as well as distribution across different channels and now my mindset is more that google is a distribution channel for our content it's not necessarily our end all be all of things um, it's great if we show up there. I want to have as many doors to our website as possible. I don't necessarily do our attribution and our metrics. Our KPIs are not around like this many leads came from this source. It doesn't matter to me. Um, I want to start with really solid content ideas and then figure out how those things get distributed across the different channels. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, I like that. Connected to that, I guess, would be the question about promotion of, of the content because, okay, like, um, you can create content and get it out there, but like, don't you have to promote it uh, in order for the right people to see it? And I would like to know if, you know, owned media site, like your email list or anything like that, uh, if you do anything on the con promotion side of things. Yeah, we're starting to get there. I think the first step for us was figuring out what we needed to build content wise and then distribution. We do a newsletter every quarter. It used to be monthly and we just decided to make it more for customers, I think. And that's another piece. Like a lot of our content is geared toward customers and um, 
more for customer success and helping this like use cases, things that are really actionable um, that will help people that helps with that education piece of like, like helping people use the product. It's not, it's kind of product marketing. It's kind of a piece of all of the above. Um, but I think that if you really serve your customers well, prospects can also look at that stuff and understand that's how I could be using the product. And it creates like a FOMO effect on the front end. So I'm really passionate about creating like really good customer content um, and figuring that out and then distributing. We do social, we do um, mostly LinkedIn, Twitter. We're still trying to figure out Twitter and how that all goes. But um, I really like, and I really like the HubSpot model of like, in the mindset of like, yes, we're going to rank in search, but if I have a marketing automation question, I'm going directly to HubSpot's blog. That's what we're trying to build is if you have a question about offline marketing, I want to make our blog searchable enough to the point where you can find what you're looking for and sales team can find what they're looking for, um, kind of self-serve everyone without having to go to a specific channel to find that information. They, I want to create that brand, that, that brand recognition. Um, behind that. I think that's a, an interesting point and especially the fact that what, what you mentioned about uh, like the voice of the customer and for example I was taking a look at your website and the things that immediately resonated with me were case studies uh, mm -hmm. how this company managed to do X with by, by using postal and, mm -hmm. and so on and I think that this is powerful because like it puts me in the position to say okay I don't know what this offline marketing automation thing is yet, but I can I can see the results and I can envision, let's say, uh, my company achieving these results through right. a solution like this. Yeah, I think that's more just goes to our company's kind of values of it's not about us, it's about the customers. It's about making the customers comfortable doing the programs that they're running. However, we can help them do that. Like, it's less about product promotion and all that stuff. I would, in those case studies, we talk about the product a lot, but the majority of it is about how Fivetran, how Dooley is using Postal to get these results. When you do case studies like that and give them a story, like you said, it allows you, the prospect, a customer to see themselves in that situation and say, I also have that problem. It's a way of serving up the problem solution without like the fear mongering that comes with marketing. Um, but I think too, on the distribution side, like that for us looks like we won't just link the you know, link the case study on LinkedIn and say, read this case study. You know, we'll run ads that have quotes from there. We'll pull the stats out of there and post those on social, like getting specific about how people consume the content on the different channels that they're on, um, I think is the missing piece there too. Yeah, and I like case studies and customer stories in general because the, you know, my my understanding is that it's one of the best pieces of con to to sell, uh, but mm -hmm. without selling. Like you mm -hmm. don't sell, uh, you just share the results. And you know, would you like to to be in that position in, in the position of this company? Well, you can you know try this service or this right. product. Right? Don't you want three x your meeting rates? Of course you do. Like hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, now, as we're ready to wrap things up, uh, I would like to know if you know and what you can share with us. Uh, what's the next big thing on, on the horizon for uh, Postal? Uh, anything exciting that you can share with us? 
Some things I can't share, some things I can share. Um, we are expanding our product suite to involve, like, encompass some more offline things that we have heard from customers like, okay, you have all of the pieces to do swag stores, right? You have the inventory part, you have the cart slot, like you have everything. It's just not built into a product. So we're building that. Um, so that's really cool. Like, I think a lot of our product enhancements and those kinds of things, like we just launched a new marketplace I had mentioned earlier that went from, okay, a 15 click send flow to now four. So it like cuts down the time, it makes it easier to find things more intuitive, more e-commerce like. Um, our product team is really good about talking to sales, talking to customer success. What are customers asking for? Like we have a really, really solid feedback loop. Um, and that just helps us build a better product for our customers. Like the benefit to being in MarTech in general, but also a product like Postal is, yeah, I think marketing is probably the main ICP, but customer success is using Postal, HR is using Postal, sales is using Postal. So like, we have all of the ICPs. We think we know what we want too, but it's really nice that like our customers in sales can talk to somebody in sales at Postal and is saying like, how wouldn't this be cool if, and then the sales teams bring that to product and they're like, hey, we should build this. So we have a product roadmap, obviously, but there's enough enough room in there to actually listen to what customers are asking for. And I think that's the way, the best way to build a product is just around the customer, build it to their needs. Um, especially in a new emerging category where like we we want our customers to keep doing this. So how do we continue to make it easier for them is listening to the people that are actually doing it well. And we call them postal flyers. We started that program um, for the people that are just crushing offline. And like those are the people, you know, our uh, early adopters program and like really getting customer centric, I think has helped us a lot. Like super users, would you call them like this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's that's a great way to wrap things up, I guess. Um, so my last question and call to action uh, for my uh, listeners would be: Where can people learn more about you and get in touch? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn is good. I'm on Twitter as well. Um, and actually, my my uh, friend from Drift. It's funny that you mentioned it earlier. She was on the founding kind of the the early team at Drift. Sarah Payan and I run it was a podcast now it's a job board called self-control and cheese um if you know anybody looking for a job or hiring for a job it's it like connects uh people's like the job description with your profile so if there's you post a job and there's four people in our system that like would be a good match it automatically gives that to you so um that's been really cool okay we will drop that in the so notes and i would love to have sarah Payon in the podcast as well so maybe I'll, there will be I'll, an introduction. I'll, I'll drop her a note uh, i'm sure she'd love it okay that's great thank you very much so uh Bridget, that was really insightful i think that we talked about something that we don't you know uh talk about very often uh here at the SASCO so so i'm really sure that there there is you know uh value uh for people who are going to listen to this episode thank you very much and uh who knows? Looking forward to to another uh, episode at the SAS SEO. So. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, George. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. 
Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com/awt and sign up for free. Another episode of the SaaS SEO show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.